Oh, welcome into Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here live on 610 ESPN Radio. Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel here with you as we are every Monday from 5 to 6 during the baseball season. Phillies, somehow, Bob, still just two games out. Two out of three against the Mets over the weekend. Do you have pennant fever, Anthony? Are you fired up for this playoff push? Phillies still just two games out. Yet, two games out with 20 to go. You'd think that you know you can have some excitement, some playoff possibility. And yet, Fangraphs has their playoff odds at 4.8%. I like to try to take a positive outlook on things, and that's uh, more than double their 1.9% playoff odds that they had entering the Mets series. So uh, things are looking up for the Phillies here with 20 games left. They come back to Citizens Bank Park uh, this week. You have the Atlanta Braves who are running away with the NL East. And this is kind of it. It's show me time for the Phillies. Uh, They're running out of games here. They're running out of excuses, and they have to take advantage of the opportunity in front of them right now. And they have Aaron Nola on the mound tonight, and uh, it's been well documented that that's no sure thing lately. Oh, oh! I thought he was. I thought he was a sure thing, Bob. No. Yeah, you know, and I have to say they've they've lost the last three starts now where Nola's gone out there. They were a heavy favorite in Miami a couple weeks ago uh, on a Sunday. He blew a game. Uh, I believe it was in the seventh inning after he was given a lead. Uh, same thing uh, in the next start, seventh inning. It was against the New York Mets. He had a one nothing lead. I know the offense didn't help him much in that game, but again, he allowed the tying run to score in the seventh. Uh, before he was taken out of the game. And then uh, last week against the Reds, he gave the Phillies no shot. Five earned runs and only four innings pitch. He's, he struggled in that start. And so for me, tonight, above all else, I don't know what's going to become of the 2019 Phillies, but just a, a little bit of a narrative thing that I'm kind of locked on right now. If the Phillies are going to be good next season, if they're going to make the playoffs next season, I need to see Aaron Nola finish strong. I need to see him pitch like the ace that he is down the stretch here over these last four or five starts. It's it's time for him to put up and do it when the Phillies really need him to do it. And I, he hasn't been bad lately over those last three starts. I mean, the ERA is like hovering in the like mid-fours, and that's really a product of the, the last start in Cincinnati specifically. But he has to go out and dominate and shut the door when he's holding a one-run lead late in the game. And that's something he has not done over these these past handful of starts. Yeah, no, he has not. And it... Another thing is interesting. Like we talked, I want to say, a few weeks back now, Bob, when we looked at, uh, I forget which game it was exactly that Nola started. It wasn't great. wasn't terrible, but wasn't great. It was one of those games where he was like awesome for like five innings, and then he had a bad inning, and then he was fine again in the seventh. Was that what game was that? Was that was that Boston? Uh, he was really good against Boston. So they won that Boston. game three two, and yeah. he went seven innings, only allowed two runs. It was runs. a game he went. A game he went seven innings, but gave up the runs in the sixth, and they lost the game. Yeah, I mean the only other one where I see that he went that deep was uh, Chicago, but they blew them out, and then the White Sox uh, back in the beginning of August. I mean, for for me, well, I was going to say in that whatever game it was that that I'm talking about, I think it was the Marlins. Now that I think about it again. I think it was the Marlins game where he went seven innings. Did he go seven? Yeah, he went seven it. in that. Yeah, yeah, they gave him the lead in the middle innings. And uh, and then they lost yeah. it. Yeah. It was 2 nothing, and he gave up three runs that's in the it, bottom that's of the what sixth it was. inning. That's yeah. it. Yes. Okay, so it was the Marlins. In that game, we talked about that. He, he stopped throwing a lot of, of his fastballs. He was relying on the curve and the change. And you basically took the third p- option out of it. So the Marlins hitters come up to the plate, and now instead of – having a 33% chance of guessing right. There are 50-50 of guessing right. And and that's why they that's why they were able to hit him. And I'm thinking that I think that you saw that against Cincinnati again that he's really not 
I don't know if it's he's not comfortable throwing it. I don't know if it's arm fatigue. I don't know what it is, but there's been less of a reliance on that fastball in recent starts. Yeah, he, he doesn't trust it, and that was a product of why he had three walks uh, yeah. in that start against Cincinnati. And even when he was in the zone, he was fat in the zone. So he was very hittable in that last start. And to me, it's just it's not all about 2019 at this point. When you get to this this part of the season and you see what this team is, it's hard to really gear yourself up and think like, wow, they, they have a shot. They're going to get hot here against Atlanta and they're going to string it together and they're going to find a way. That aside, like I need to see this guy do it this time of the year. you know. And we haven't seen it here lately, and it's time now. And, and that's, I think, more than, more than do the Phillies reach this wild card game. Moving forward for this franchise, it's important to see Aaron Nola pitch well in high stakes games in the month of September. And I don't, we haven't seen it, and we need to see it. Well, tonight's going to certainly be one of those games. Phillies and Braves kick off a four game series down at Citizens Bank Park. And Aaron Nola against Mike Fultonevich for the Braves. Fultonevich has had an interesting season as well. Was expected to be, you know, their uh, top of the rotation guy. He had a great year last year for the Braves. Um, had a little bit of an injury in spring training. I don't, know if it was a, I don't remember if it was a oblique or a groin or something along those lines. They didn't start pitching till late April and was really awful the first part of the season. Like a month and a half, two months of the season was terrible. So bad that the Braves sent him down. And he was down in the minors for a good six weeks at least. Um, and since he's come back, he's not been great. But he's been a lot more effective. He's been a, a better pitcher for them. Not going deep in games, but at least uh, you know he's he's keeping them in games. So it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Now, the one thing I want to ask you about this series, Bob, is is do the Braves have a lot to play for? I, is, you know, are you are, are they sitting there saying? I mean, I know they haven't clinched the division yet. I get it, right? And so that's obviously something you want to get done, but. Do you, when you're a team that's a little bit on cruise control, do you, do you kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit? Is there a tendency to possibly have that happen? Yeah, I think that motivation is a big thing in sports. You know, how dialed in are you? The Phillies should be desperate. They should be, uh, to borrow Gabe's term, scratching and clawing in this series. Braves come into this thing 34 games over 500. They have a nine-game lead in the NL East. I mean, they're they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win this division. So, I mean, are they are they motivated to maybe wrap this thing up early, take the stress out of it over the last couple of weeks of the season? Maybe. Um, and, and, you know, the only thing I'll say is just from a from a motivation standpoint, they had to hear a lot over the offseason about the Phillies and how, how great the Phillies were going to be and going out and signing Bryce Harper and getting JT Real Muto. So I'm sure that privately, especially when you consider how the Braves started the season, getting swept in Philly... I bet you they've had conversations about that, how they'd really like to kind of dig the, the final nails into the coffin of this team. So they might be motivated a, a little bit more than they otherwise would be with a nine-game lead in the division and sitting well above 30 games over 500. But certainly the Phillies should be the team that comes in with a little bit more desperation. Aaron Nola has been pretty good uh, against Atlanta this season. He's, he's had, I think, one start in the middle of June where he wasn't very sharp, but other than that, in four starts, he's 3-0 and against the Braves this season with an ERA in the mid-threes. So overall, he's been pretty decent, and they're, they're going to need an effort that I would say mirrored more of the one that he gave in July, uh, back in early July at Atlanta. He went eight innings in that game. He only allowed four hits, no earned runs. He had eight strikeouts. That's the Aaron Nola that the Phillies need to see tonight because I don't know. This offense scored 10 runs yesterday, looked pretty good, even without Real Muto and Harper in the lineup, going against Noah Syndergaard, got him out of the game relatively early, and 
Offense has certainly been better lately, especially since Charlie Manuel's come back, but you can't rely on this offense on any given night. And so Nola's got to step up. The Phillies can't expect to win a, a 6-5, 7-6 game tonight. Bob, I'm going to throw something at you about Aaron Nola. And this is just, as we're sitting here talking about it, it's just dawning on me. Right? This isn't something I prepared coming into the program today. Just something that kind of came to my mind just now as we've been talking about it. And, I, and I, I'm going to pull it up and just see if I can you know, find anything. If, if my hypothesis is correct. My hypothesis is this. Aaron Nola kind of loses gas at the end of the season. Okay. I mean, is it, certainly the way that he looked in this last start, and he's not getting extra days here either. Right. right? I mean, they're going to him every fifth day. That's right. So I'm looking. I'm going to go back and look at his, at his game logs from the last two years prior to this year. So in 20, 2017, uh, when I kind of remember he had uh, some struggles down the stretch, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Let's go to the last ten. Uh, yeah, okay. Here we go. So from August seventeenth through September twenty fifth, right of that year. Why won't it, why won't this click through? All right. He had one start. It was five innings, uh, five earned runs. Six innings, seven earned runs. Another one of five innings, six earned runs. He had four out of his last seven starts. He didn't go six innings. Um, really kind of struggled. That was that's 2017. Then last year, when he was a Cy Young candidate, and no one questions that he had a tremendous year. I kind of remember the September being a little bit a little bit shakier than the rest of the season. Um, there was a, a five and two thirds, four runs allowed against the Cubs, a five inning, four runs allowed against the Nationals, um, three runs allowed against the Mets. They weren't great starts. Is Aaron Nola a guy who maybe just doesn't have enough in the tank to go this long into September? So uh, let's take the three-year sample from 2016 through 2018. Uh, your hypothesis is half right. He hasn't been brutal in September. I mean, if you look at from 16 to 18, 11 starts, a 3.78 ERA, which in and of itself isn't particularly bad. He's also held opponents to a 2.26 batting average in those starts. So that's fine. But when you go through and you look at his month-to-month splits, and this doesn't count 2019, uh, he has his second highest ERA of any month in in September. So uh, the only month in which he's been worse, actually, uh, prior to this season was June, in which he has a 4.88 ERA. Everything else is uh, a little bit below the 3.78 mark in September. So, yeah, I mean, he hasn't been great. Uh, he hasn't been necessarily up to his, his standard in the final month of the season. Certainly, you factor in what he did last time out in Cincinnati, and, and that kind of uh, only, you know, adds on to it. But, you know, he hasn't been bad either. Well, I just wonder. Because it's something that, it's, it's something that makes you think... And this is this is going to sound really awful, and I don't mean it to sound awful because I really like Aaron Nolan. I think he's a really really good pitcher. Is is Aaron Nolan maybe better suited as a number two guy in a rotation and not an ace? Ooh, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to have this conversation. Neither did I. I. Neither yeah, did I. No, this just kind of came mean, to the. I think. Uh, see, here's what you can't do, and I, and the the response that I wanted to give you there was, well, if you take away those first four or five starts of the yeah. season. But you can't take away those right. first four or five starts of the season. So we like to try to do that to rationalize and, mm-hmm. and make ourselves feel a little bit better about what we're watching here. Like, if you take away somebody's five or six poor starts, yeah, of course the numbers look a little bit better. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I'm there. I think that he is a, a one, if you want to call him that. Is he that elite-level guy? Certainly, if you looked at what he did a season ago, you would say yes. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the full body of work, I, I, I think the, the 
the ceiling is there. The potential is there for him to be that guy. But can you go into 2020 and say it's a hammer lock that Aaron Nola is a stud ace guy that once we get to October, get late into the season, make the postseason, that he's going to go out and dominate? We don't know that. Right. And, and the comparison I want to make, just for the sake of argument here, so I don't sound like you know too much of a jerk, <laughs> is that Cole Hamels comes off the World Series season where he was phenomenal where everybody loved him and he was MVP in the World Series and he was great and then in 2009 stunk right I mean and 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 he was a young stud pitcher who everybody thought was going to be this great ace forever and he was he's been a very good pitcher in his career over the last decade there's no doubt about it um but he's always been that guy who I look at and say yeah he's good but you want to have someone a little bit better than him in your rotation. I understand that. I think at age 26, which he'll, he'll be 26 to start next season and it'll yeah. only be his fifth year, the jury's still out. But would I feel a lot better if it was uh, Garrett Cole and Aaron Nola 1-2 in the Phillies rotation? Sure. Sure. Right, yeah. exactly. Right, yeah, Absolutely. It make a big difference. And so, I, so that's, that's what I think is going to be part of the most interesting thing in the offseason. You know, are they going to try and go out and get – an ace pitcher, or are they going to try and go out and get a you know a good second tier guy to pitch behind Nola and see really where do the Phillies see Aaron Nola fitting? Because there's no doubt he's no lower than a two. Oh uh, yeah, mind. for no, sure, no, no lower, for sure. no lower, um, and, and definitely certainly can be that one. And I think that that it's still a possibility that he becomes a really good perennial All Star one, um, but he's not there right now. And I and I just worry that he runs out of energy at and the end of the I'm year. I'm sure there are going to be some people that listen to this and say, you're out of your mind. I mean, yeah. how can you say he's not a number one right now? Yeah. Or, again, three, a 3-6-3 three, three ERA. It's you know, okay. It's he's good. Been, he's, a good. He's a good pitcher. Yeah, he's been good. You know, uh, I will say this. The Phillies this season, after they put up double-digit runs in their previous game, have actually been pretty good. I know that we always like to point it out and say, oh, they scored 10 yesterday. You know they're going to just score is one Is this tonight. a Bob Wankel trend? It is a trend. Okay. Trend alert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, uh, the Phillies are 8-4 and four this season in games after they scored double-digit runs. So that's encouraging. They have only averaged, though, and this isn't terrible, they've averaged four and a half runs per game in the following game after scoring in the double digits the previous game. So that's something to consider. Also take into consideration, you, you mentioned that they faced Mike fulton tonight. fulton actually went six innings against the Phillies and has only started against them this season. He allowed one earned run despite giving up four hits and five walks in those six innings. Phillies left a ton of base runners. They ended up losing that game 11-1. to Lately, like you said, he's been pretty effective. He has not gone particularly deep into games. He's only gone beyond the fifth inning in th- uh, one of his last four starts. So it's an interesting situation. Phillies are favored to win this game tonight. I believe last time I checked at FanDuel Sportsbook, they're a minus 140 money line favorite. That's pretty, uh, I would say, given the fact that the Braves are 34 games over 500, the Phillies are what they are. That's a pretty strong Phillies line. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win the game, but something that you should take into consideration when you look at this. And I... Though uh, we've done this before, and I think we've said this multiple times throughout the course of the season, it feels to me like a must-win when you're playing a team that is certainly better than you, and you got your best guy on the mound, game one of this series. To me, the Phillies have to find a way to win three out of four if uh, if we're going to play make-believe for at least another week. Absolutely. And you, you make mention of, of the fact that, you know, they, they, how they do after they score double digits. I'm going to go a little bit, I'll give you one a little bit better than that, Bob. 23 games since making the switch at hitting coach. 
Prior to that, you remember how many times we talked about how the Phillies would have zero, one, or two runs in a game and how frustrating that was for this team this year? I think that they had the mo- at one point they were the most in the National League. Since then, you know how many times they've had fewer than three runs in a game? I will say twice. Once. Ah. Once. Okay. And that was uh, the le- – le- oh, no, I'm sorry. You are right. It was twice. Right. I went back. I missed one. They happened once against the Padres, and that's the one I missed. And the one that I saw was the, uh, the, one, the, lo- the uh, Sunday loss to the Marlins. Um, they had two runs in each of those two games. But in the other 21 games, they've scored three runs or more. Not to say that three is a lot, but even still, if you want to throw the threes into the bottom – T- uh, tier of that, that's, there's only four times that they've had three runs. So that would mean 18 of the last 23 games, they've scored four runs or more. And when they score four runs or more in a game, they're like 30-some games over 500, correct? Yeah, I don't know exactly. Now, I, I know they lost on Friday night scoring four runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but prior to going away, they four was like the magic number for this team. Uh, when you get the pregame notes, when you go down to the stadium, yeah. the, 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 the Phillies PR guys give them out every every game, and it's like, just score four is the mm-hmm. headline. And I believe that they are something like 25 to 30 games over 500 when they score four runs. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. Uh, you mentioned a Bob Wankel trend alert. Here we go. Do you know how many games over 500 the Phillies are right now? <clears throat> they would be six games over 500, Bob. That's right. And they finally climbed that mountain last Tuesday night. They were six games over. They had lost 11 straight games when six games over 500. They finally got the seven games over. And what did they do? They proceeded to lose the next two. The next two. The Phillies have <laughs> three. lost next three. Yeah, actually. next three. Actually, the <laughs> Phillies are now back to six games over. They've lost twelve of their last thirteen games in this spot. So we'll see if they can climb back to seven games over once again tonight. That's um, that's that's the most fascinating. It's crazy when you think about it. You have a team that's six games over five hundred, <laughs> and they're eleven and uh, what did I say? They're they're one in, one in one twelve. One in twelve. In their the last, last thirteen there. So if you just take those games out, they'd be in really good shape. Yeah, they they would. <laughs> So uh, one thing that I, I wanted to get to just before we hit our first commercial break here in a couple minutes, this team's like kind of like zombie mood, right? Like we were sitting here a week ago saying it's <laughs> over, and they were two and a half games out when we last talked Monday afternoon back mm-hmm. on Labor Day, and they go out and they win the first two against the Reds, and you go, all right, here we go. They're going to get the ball rolling here, and then they lose those two games, and then they, they get walked off Thursday and on Friday night, and you think, okay, now the wheels are completely falling off the bus. And they come back, and they get seven shutout innings in a spot where they needed seven shutout innings from Cliff, from, Lee. From, from, from Cliff Lee, from Drew Smiley, in a huge spot with a depleted bullpen, nobody available. Yeah. And then they bounce back, and they slug their way to an important series win yesterday. I, I don't have any confidence in this team. I don't believe in this team. But yet here we are, and they just – I do think – I think that they deserve some credit for, despite obvious deficiencies, for being a resilient team. I think we can say that about this team. They're not good. Golf claps. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, we, we can shrug that off, but especially when you consider how last season played out. I mean, the, the, the thing was going well off the train tracks by now, uh, by now last season. Yep. So they've held it together, and every time it looks like the thing's going to just go, go wild here, they've, they've been able to stabilize. And they've, this is a pattern that they've kind of been in now since the beginning of August. They haven't been bad enough to fall out. They haven't been good enough to really grab this thing and go with since it. Since the beginning of August? They haven't I mean, won yeah. more than four games in a row all year. Yeah, no, I mean, but just, <laughs> you know, we, I think, I think once we got to the end of July, when we got around the trade deadline, we yeah. thought this thing was over. I think if, if we were being honest with ourselves back in late July, you asked us, hey, on September 9th, where do you think the Phillies would be? 
I would have said they would have been closer to five, six, seven games out. Maybe that speaks to the ineptitude of the rest of the National League beyond really the, the, the division leaders and the, and the Cubs. Well, on the trade deadline, they were 56-51, and 51, and they were seven games out of first place. Now they're 74-68, and 68, so they've basically been right around 500, yeah. and they're 14 games out of first place. Yeah. So I mean, is that an evidence of the Braves are that much better, or... The, there's a lot of mediocrity and just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it says, it's, but it's, yeah, I mean, I guess, Bob, I guess if you said to me on July 31st that we'd be going into this Atlanta series and they'd still be within two games, I'd probably be a little surprised. Yeah, and I mean, if they I'd keep this 500 surprised. pace throughout the course of the season here or throughout the remainder of the season, they're going to finish with what, I believe, 84 wins? Is that That's if, about if they play right. 500 baseball from here on out? So, yeah. Which again wasn't much short, uh, much shorter than what we initially projected. Frankly, actually, be low, be a little bit yeah, less, a little less. I had him at eighty-seven. You had him at eighty-five. Yeah. If you go back to that episode back in uh, March, so uh, but we'll talk a little bit more. There's some great stuff to talk about with this team. Um, that a, a story broke, or and I don't say broke, but a story came out today in the Athletic by Ken Rosenthal. Uh, the uh, national baseball writer, longtime writer, uh, now writes for the Athletic, talking about the Phillies, and really, he kind of laid into the um, uh, general manager and president of the team really good. And I, I think Bob and I are going to want to have a lot to say about this when we get back from the break. If you want to call in, 888-728-9941 is the number. You're listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the Y. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the Y as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the Y. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. We're back on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. And before we jump into that uh, Ken Rosenthal story, Bob, 
there are a couple other players that are uh, of interest right now. And one is specifically last week we were we were kind of getting excited that hey, maybe Reese Hoskins broke out. It was finally broke out of his months-long slump. Cuz he was really good last week, right? I mean, there was no question he was hitting the ball out of the park. He was, you know, driving in a lot of runs and we're like that's the guy. He's finally figured it out. But maybe not. No, uh, it just he just can't seem to to gain any traction. He had a couple games there where he was going off over the weekend and it, last weekend, I should say, and and now it's just we're back in this spot where he he just can't get it going. I mean, he hit one sixty one in August. Calendar turns to September. We're thinking, okay, here we go, one ninety four in the month of September. Yeah. I mean, thirty one at bats. He has only six hits, two home runs. You know, I mean, that's that's fine. But you just you just look at it, and uh, again, eleven strikeouts in in the thirty six plate appearances. You know, it just is 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 it. Always- would it be ridiculous to say this? Tell me if it would be ridiculous to say <laughs> you're this. Just, you're just killing everybody. I'm gonna, I'm taking gonna, down Aaron Nola. I'm, gonna, taking down I'm just going to say some ridiculous stuff today and see what, see what people buy. Is, is the difference between Reese Hoskins and Mike Calfranco the, the fact that Reese Hoskins can work a walk and Mike Calfranco cannot? <laughs> uh, they, have same, they have similar batting average. Yeah. Their power numbers are not too far off, right? I mean, it's not that ridiculous of, of a of a difference between the two i still think hoskins is a real player and franco is nothing more than just a fringe guy right but uh, ultimately this season how different have they really been well so i think what we know about reese hoskins now after two and a quarter seasons i guess we would call it he's not a 300 hitter he's not a 280 hitter he's not a 270 hitter probably i mean he the guy hit 246 last year and he's hitting 236 this year and, you know, we're not all hung up on batting average. We know it goes far beyond that. But, yeah, kind of. I mean, he has elite plate discipline. He has elite on-base skills. But his ball and play skills are uh, le- certainly leave a little bit to be desired at this point in his career. So, right. is he Michael Franco? God, I have not heard that comparison. Well, no, because look at Franco's numbers. Yeah. All right? I mean, he's hitting, what, 239? So, it's the same bat- almost the same batting average. The home run difference isn't that great, right? What's they off by about like six? And and Franco certainly has less 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 plate appearances. Less plate appearances, right? Franco was driving in some runs uh, earlier in the year. I know he's not going to catch uh, Hoskins in in that category. You know, their OPS is a little di- a little off. I think that's that's where Hoskins has the advantage because, of course, he gets on base where where Franco does not. I think Franco's on base percentage is what three oh. Two, three, oh, four. Yeah. So, just looking at Franco's numbers here, I mean, his his average is actually better than Reese Hoskins right now. If Hoskins is at two thirty six, Franco's at two thirty nine. Uh, it's interesting though. Batting average of balls in play two thirty seven for Michael Franco, and for Hoskins it's two seventy five. So uh, a little bit of that, and, and certainly just the on base percentage is night and day. Hoskins still sitting at three seventy six despite. Uh, the, the low batting average in Franco, 302. Yeah, yeah, his so on it, base is not good. I mean, that's the difference. But I will say this, too. I mean, if you recall, earlier in the season, um, there was a point when Michael Franco's batting average was down in, like, the high ones. And to get it to 239, I mean, actually it looks like his, his low, I just pulled it up, his low was 204. That was on June 23rd. So since June 23rd, let's see, just do a little little quick math. 
Here's what Mike Alfranco, which is the same stretch that Hoskins has been bad, pretty much, a couple games difference. Uh, Mike Alfranco, uh, 301, 353 on base, 865 OPS, 316 BABIP. I, just saying. Like, so you got to play in first base next no, season? No, I don't. I don't. But I, I know you, we're going to talk about Mike Franco a little later in the program tonight because he's in the lineup tonight um, ahead of Scott Kingery. But I, you know, we talked about Franco getting kind of the, the raw end of the stick when he got sent down last month. And then he came back when Harper went out on, you know, uh, paternity leave and went back down again. And now he's come back and. You know, since he's come back, he's had four hits, a double, a home run. He had looked okay in the three games against the Marlins. Maybe he's a guy that that realized, hey, that was it. That was the last chance. I, who knows? So, but it goes more than just those I five think games. It's, I think it's fascinating that you mention this because it's similar to what we sort of talked about with Aaron Nola. Like, you want to know, is Aaron Nola an ace? Can I go into a playoff series and say, this is my guy. He's going to put us on his back. It's the same thing with Reese Hoskins. Like Whether or not the, the Phillies make the playoffs or if they win 84 games versus 88 games, I, I want to know what Reese Hoskins is. And my hope was that we would get into a, a September pennant race, if, if you want to call it that. You'd loosely call it a pennant race. But let's get it down the stretch here, 20, 30 games to go, and see this guy go off and, and really be that leader, be that guy that you can count on. And again, I think that there are considerable questions about what Reese Hoskins is. Is he a true middle-of-the-order piece? Or is he like everything in this town goes back to teams that were good in the past? So like, let's use those Phillies championship teams that we saw 10, 11 years ago. Is he Chase Utley, Ryan Howard? Or is he Jason Worth? Is he that complimentary type of player? And I mean, I think that the Phillies would do well for Reese Hoskins to be Jason Worth. What I'm saying, though, is is he, that, is he really that, that guy that you're relying on in your lineup? Or is he more of a complimentary piece? And I think that that's something that... We don't know yet. We don't know. We want to believe that he's a superstar, but he he's not right now. Yeah. He just isn't. He might end up being one of those guys, Bob, who is not a superstar in the sense of statistical measure, but because of who he is as a person and who he is as a team leader, that even though his statistical stuff is a little bit less than you want it to be, he is that much more important to the team. And I think that that, that could well be what Reese Hoskins ultimately is. And that's that's fair. I need to see him do it here. I need to I need to see him do it with with this team's backs up against the wall. I need to see him do it while the games are still relevant. Mm-hmm. If the Phillies get swept and they fall five six games out of the playoffs, like I don't want to see the the three home runs in two games at that point. I need I need to see it tonight. I need to see it right now. And is that fair? Like I know baseball, you can't. When it's a football game and you say like, "Hey, it's all on this week. It's now or never," and you, you need those guys, you need your quarterback to step up in a pressure situation. I know it's, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's easier to key on a, a guy to do that in a certain spot. But I think it's time to see some of these younger guys be big in a big moment. Yeah, and and that's really what I want to see. And I think that again, there's a lot that we can find out in this stretch of games. This week, and and if they can hang around, then maybe beyond this week. Well, I think there's more than just us hoping to see that uh, from these guys this this week and beyond. I think that there are some people running this organization who are hoping that these players can can do that to make them look better than they're appearing right now. Because Ken Rosenthal 
I mean, look, we talked about it for a while now. I, once again... Yeah, like, there was no bombshell here necessarily. No, right. But it, to, to see a guy of his stature come out... Correct. It's one thing when two jokers like you and I are sitting <laughs> on a podcast telling people that there's... A, that, the, that it was wrong to bet on the trio <laughs> of Nick Pavetta, Zach Eflin, okay. and Vince Velasquez. Yeah, so when we're doing that, I mean, okay, and they're going to say, oh, what do these guys know? But now when Ken Rosenthal writes it, and it's like, oh, maybe this is the, maybe this is the truth... He put a, a piece out, and I, I thought it was curiously timed, because obviously, as you know, um, yesterday, uh, the, the Boston Red Sox parted with their president, Dave Dombrowski, I mean, literally less than a year after winning the World Series. And, and the guy was brought in there to do just that, like to take a team with y- some young players, add a couple of good veterans, and make them into a world championship team, and he did. Now, let me just say this. My, my position on this is just because the Red Sox blew Dave Dombrowski out the door doesn't mean that, oh, well, the Phillies are putting up with mediocrity while the Redskins say, or I'm oh, sorry, the Redskins, sorry, you're still, still on Sunday, right? Yeah, right. You're still in football mode. We're all turning the page. Yeah. All the Red Sox say, this isn't good enough. You know, we're eight games out right now. We're chasing the Yankees. We're not set up for the future. So th- that means that the Phillies need to blow their front office out the door. Every every team's different. Every situation's different. But it, it's certainly an interesting contrast. Yeah. Well, I just I just thought it was the timing of Rosenthal's story because like I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why would Rosenthal write this story today? And my thought process is he's as a baseball guy, he's probably sitting there saying, well, geez, Dave Dombrowski's got to be a hot ticket, right? I mean, he just won a World Series with the Red Sox, and I can't believe he got let go there. Where could he end up? What's a situation that would be a good situation for Dombrowski? And he looks and says, well, here's a Phillies team who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, not exceed, not reach their expectations. Here's a team that's, you know, their um, farm system is not as good as it once was, where they maybe haven't hit on a couple of picks that they wanted. Here's a general manager who's, you know, kind of been a little bit, uh, you know, stand pat and not really do anything, just work with the, you know, go dumpster diving for, for players. Maybe that's a spot where Dombrowski would fit. Let's break down the Phillies and see what's what. And again, I don't think this is anything that's being orchestrated by Dombrowski or his agent or anything like that. I think this is Ken Rosenthal just looking for a place that makes sense. And the first one that comes to mind for him is the Phillies. And so what he does in his in this article on The Athletic, and if you have an athletic subscription, you should go read it, um, is that he basically sits there and says that, the, that McPhail and Klintek, and this is his word, have been ambivalent. That is a damnation like you wouldn't believe to call a president and general manager of a baseball team ambivalent is like basically saying, yeah, we don't care. Like, yeah. We're, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And if we don't do it, eh, so what? No big deal. And you, to try that in this town of all places, I mean, there's, you could probably get away with that in 26 of the 30 major league towns, right? Uh, you, or you ain't doing it in – And that's why everybody – that's why everybody – is is upset with Andy McPhail. Of, of everybody, I know that on a nightly basis, everyone focuses on the manager. We talk about the, the bullpen shortcomings, so we, we look at Matt Klintak. But for the team president to come out in the midst of this season of great expectations mm-hmm. and say, well, if we don't make the playoffs, we don't make the playoffs. Yeah. And that's unacceptable. And just talk about being completely and utterly tone deaf yes. to, to a city 
and to a situation. This team has not made the playoffs since 2011. You cannot say that, even if you internally, within your organization, agree with that. Which, by the way, I'm not sure that the owner feels that way. Well, I don't know. If I'm an owner and I go out and spend $572 million in the offseason... I don't you know. Want a little bit more return on your I, investment? I don't know if I'm going to come in and say, eh, if we do, we do, we don't, we don't. I, I, don't, I don't think I can have that attitude. That's the thing. Like, look, I, maybe I misread John Middleton completely, but I can't think that he's happy with any of did this. Did you watch? Did you watch the Eagles game yesterday? He was, he was celebrating. With, that, two hands, yes. palms out, slapped down hard. I and mean, that guy wants to win. So a what, guy that goes that crazy for someone else's team, you're telling me he doesn't want to win? That he's not offended by what, by what he's watching? What this does year? it make you? What does it make you think when the owner of the Phillies, who are in this race? Is instead of being watching his Phillies team, nah, I'm sure he had it on a on a <laughs> monitor somewhere. He's watching. He's at the Eagles. Oh, the first game of the Eagles. It's not like it was an Eagles playoff game. It's the first game yeah, of the season against the Redskins. Excited. Against yeah. the Redskins. I mean, even Mike Trout wasn't there. Oh, that's right. He has a baseball <laughs> that's game. Right, that's why right. he's yeah. still playing. Uh, yeah. But no. But seriously, getting back to what Rosenthal said, I I have to think that when a national writer puts a story out like this, that that means that there's been conversation. Yeah, I don't think that that was a piece of pure speculation. Right. That there has to be some kind of conversation that's taking place at some level. I'm not going to say who it came from or where it came from, but that there is some kind of conversation, which means that you have to imagine that once this season ends, and if it ends with the Phillies not making a playoff, that there's going to be some kind of change. Another thing, he killed Chris Young in this story. Like, there's no tomorrow. He basically said, who the heck is Chris Young? That is something that... uh, (laughs) I have heard down down there, I'll say, yeah. uh, when I'm at the stadium. I'm starting to hear that with a little bit more frequency. Nobody, n- nobody from the actual pitching staff or from, from the coaching staff, but just around the park uh, talking to some people, the, there doesn't seem to be a ton of confidence in Chris Young. And, and I think that that's born out of the fact that he is a numbers-oriented guy uh, that maybe isn't so strong with mechanics, um, with sequencing, with with actually, I, I want to say maybe emphasizing a pitcher's strengths or correcting his errors. Yeah, I think he's more about well, all right, looking at this is what this guy does. This is how we should attack him. It, it, the the trends around baseball suggest, and you talk about high fastballs, elevating fastballs in the zone. Mm-hmm. We went through this with Zach Eflin. That's an example of it. The Phillies philosophically think that's the way they should attack. There's not a lot of confidence in, in, in Chris Young, and it certainly sounded like that there's some impatience with him. I, I will say that I I really, I, and this is as a journalist or as a writer, this is I love breaking down what another writer does and how they write right i really do because there's always some kind of underlying thing and when he's talking about chris young um he he mentions the fact he says okay he was a scout for seven years in another organization before he got his first job in the dugout with the phillies as the assistant pitching coach last year his name started to come up from other teams and so that's why the phillies didn't want to lose him because they liked what he was doing as far as game prep for the other team. So, like, he was giving them good scouting information, like a scout should do. And that's what, as the assistant pitching coach, he was scouting the other hitters and saying this is how we should attack them. He said, but then he said, the Phillies have had all these pitching injuries, 
and I don't know who you put the blame on for the pitching injuries. Can't be the manager because he's overly conservative with them, which he is. Gabe is. is overly conservative with the pitchers. So he's insinuating that there's something else there. And it, it, to me, it's that... And he makes the point that the Phillies aren't the only team dealing with pitching injuries. Right. But, but there's something else there. And maybe it's related to the way that Chris Young is running his pitching staff. You know, how they're, whatever their throwing program might be. That he doesn't know what the best throwing program might be. He might not have, no, have, not have a clue on how to handle it. Who knows? But he's kind of suggesting that part of the problem might be with the guy who's in charge of the pitcher. And it's not exactly a revelation that, that John Middleton was involved in Charlie Manuel's hiring right. and, the, and the departure uh, of the previous hitting coach. But I will say, R- Rosenthal makes it very clear that it was the owner's impatience and that that impatience could have an impact on the pitching coach and, and possibly the manager. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling, this is just my feeling, that the Phillies are going to have some pretty substantial staff changes at the end of the season. I still, and, and I feel like it's a week-to-week thing, you and I kind of <laughs> yes. check in on this, I yeah. still don't think it's going to be the manager, but I do think uh, some pieces that he may not be enthusiastic about losing, he may be forced to if he wants to keep his job. And that, and that's, uh, that's a very real possibility. When we get back, we got to look at uh, tonight's lineup, which features Michael Franco, who we briefly discussed, in place of Scott Kingery. And why might the Phillies be doing that? You're listening to Crossed Up here on 610 ESPN Radio. At any given moment, somewhere in America, a baby is taking a first step, a developmental milestone. But for too many parents, a baby's first steps aren't just a milestone. They're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together, our steps make stronger, healthier babies a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? They just told us right away that we're going to house you, we're going to feed you, and every single one of his medical bills is just all taken care of. They've saved my family from financial ruin. It allowed me and my wife both to focus on the most important thing, which was the health and well-being of our son. We have phenomenal research, outstanding clinical care, and the generosity of public, which allow us to treat patients regardless of what it takes. And that's what makes St. Jude so magical. At St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world. When we come here, they told me, don't worry, everything's been taken care of. We could never repay St. Jude for what they've given us. Because of you. Gracias a ti. Because, because of, of you. you. There is St. Jude. And we are back on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel with you for another 20 minutes before we go into Checkpoint. 
The final time this season, Bob, that the E uh, Esports e show, show yeah. will be following us. They'll be moving back to Friday night now that the Reading Phillies season is over. Uh, and then we'll see what follows us after our show next week. Maybe something new. Um, but I know you wanted to dive into one more thing from the Rosenthal uh, column today uh, before we get into Michael Franco. So why don't you uh, take it from here? Yeah, this this is really, again, about next year, I think. Um, you know, Ken Rosenthal sort of outlined that one of the biggest problems is that the Phillies bet on, you know, Zach Eflin, Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, and they it, it didn't work out. And now, because it didn't work out, it's going to force them to go back out into the, the free agent market over the winter, and they're going to have to do something to upgrade this rotation. It's it's it has to happen. You cannot come back with the, the same parts. So the problem with that, of course, is that Matt Klintak's evaluation of pitching, both internally and externally, has been, I would say, spotty at best. I mean, he... He hasn't struck out on every single guy, but you look at the bullpen pieces that he's added at big money. Certainly injuries are a factor. There is a little bit of luck or bad luck, I should say, that's involved with that. But even the guys that he's gone out and and gotten, he hasn't gotten a ton out of them. So is he the guy that you want leading the charge and bringing what I would say the Phillies Phillies need high-priced pitching? They need big-time talent in here and it's going to cost them do you trust him to go out and, and buy the right pieces uh, anybody can throw a, a monster check at Garrett Cole I guess but there's no guarantee and right you and I talked about this I don't know on air but there's no guarantee that he would come here even if you sign the biggest check right exactly and I thought it was an interesting thing when he talked about the pitchers in there um they he, he really wanted to focus on the Braves right and how they, at one point the Braves and Phillies were really close in the standings and that the Braves pursued Dallas Keuchel and the Phillies did not. And and according to Rosenthal, Phillies didn't even check in. They were not interested in Keuchel a little bit. He said the Phillies were obviously big players in Patrick Corbin. They invited him in. We know they put his name and his wife's name up on the uh, – didn't put his wife's name up was on it, the – Was it Paxton too that yeah, they were They were trying yeah. to make a trade for Paxton. They made a pitch for Jay Happ. Um, so they did go after some lefty pitchers in the offseason – ultimately not signing with them, but they at no point were they interested in Keuchel. And that, not to say that Dallas Keuchel's been the difference for the Braves, but it's interesting that since the Braves signed Keuchel that they've gone 45-24 and 24 and the Phillies have been 35-33 and 33 in the same span. And it's amazing to me that they were willing to spend to a certain amount in the offseason on a guy. They obviously had recognize that adding a player of of Corbin's ability would be beneficial to them. And then they don't have interest in Keuchel, which I understood. I had concerns about Dallas so Keuchel at Citizens we Bank did, Park. We didn't like, you know, a we lot didn't of pool like contact. Yeah. Michael Franco doesn't have a lot of range, despite the myth that's out there about his defense. He doesn't get to a lot of balls laterally uh, either way. I had issues with Dallas Keuchel, but I guess my thought was they're – they're going to address this in some capacity. If they're not going to go after Dallas Keuchel and they had expressed interest in, in signing Corbin to a five-year deal worth you know, $100 million plus, then they're, they're certainly going to be aggressive at the deadline. I guess, they, is it just that they didn't identify the, the right deal? They didn't think that the right player was out there? Or did they just truly not believe in this team at all? And say, you know what, we're better off just punting, seeing what happens, and we'll reassess in the offseason. And yeah. that's what Rosenthal kind of said as well, which is, they might just be chalking this up to it wasn't our year. Yeah, and they might do that, but will, but will they get another opportunity to 
have a, a second kick at the can. Because one of the things that he points out is that look at a team like Arizona, where they traded Paul Goldschmidt in the offseason, where they traded their top pitcher, Zach Greinke, at the deadline, and yet they're, you know, even though they're looking at down the road getting pieces for the future, here they are having a shot at it, and they're like, well, gee, let's go for it, man. Yeah. Let's try and get this second wild card because it would, they're not worried about who they might put face in the like he wrote they're not worried about having to face max scherzer in the or steven strasburg in the wild card game they're just like let's just get in and see what happens whereas the phillies might have and again i love the how writer writes this because he says you know they're not worried like the phillies are about oh well, well we get in and just have to face the dodgers and get beat well maybe the phillies have never said that out loud but that very well could be the mentality that they have right. like let's punt because we know we can't beat the dodgers Whereas the Diamondbacks are like, we'll take a shot. So I mean, and that's the and that's the ambivalence argument that he's that he's trying to make. Do you think that if the Phillies played the Dodgers, if they got to that, that it, they would get their doors blown off? Because think about what that would take, right? That means that they outlasted Arizona, outlasted the Cubs, outlasted uh, the Mets, Milwaukee, and they would have played what seventeen teams that are over five hundred down the, the stretch over their final twenty. I mean, they would if they make the playoffs and they get to that playoff game. They're going to come in red hot, and they'll have to be, and they'll have to beat the the Nationals and probably Scherzer in a one game. I, I actually, I for one moment there for like for a half a second was like, it's possible, and then I just came crashing back. Yeah, to yeah, it's there. not possible. Yeah, so uh, m- moving on real quick. Uh, so Mike Alfranco is back in the lineup, yes! and you know how I feel about Mike Alfranco. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to the show, I don't feel great about Mike Alfranco. <laughs> I don't believe that he should be part of this team's plans. I think that he. Uh, there, there were some people that felt bad for him. I, my stance on Mike Alfranco is that he just simply hasn't been good enough. And I just don't think that his defense, I think his defense is limited, frankly. Uh, and I also think that he is not a, he is not what people thought he was going to be three, four years ago. And I, I think it's obvious at this point. That being said, he was sent down back in early August and he was in AAA for about three weeks. He was injured, and then he finally came back up for a handful of games. And then he went back down again. Michael Franco is so expendable that you are willing to demote him twice. Why is he playing in these must-win, season-defining games in the month of September? It's it's really interesting to me because I think the writing's on the wall with Michael Franco. Yet here he is in the lineup tonight. Michael Franco. Versus Mike Fultonevich. Lifetime. This, you know, be, you know, this better be good. You know Gabe and his lifetime yeah, numbers. They're on, more this... important than the current than how they're playing right now. And hey, he by the way, Franco, four for nine over the weekend, a yep. couple big hits, Homer yesterday. I yep. mean, listen, I, I okay. Lifetime against Fultonevich. Eight for twenty six, two home runs, nine oh six OPS. Okay. That's why he's in the lineup. All right. That's why he's in. It's just it's amazing. Like you would think that a team's like we're going to go in a different direction. We we don't value you enough to keep you up here as we're we're scraping for a playoff spot. You're gone most of the month of August, and now we're going to play you in more important games in September. It's a really strange. Well, they also don't really have a third baseman. I mean, Kingery is probably your most consistent guy. But, I mean, Brad Miller had a couple starts. God, Brad That's Miller at third base. I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know. Was that Saturday night he made the, the two errors, yeah. like almost back-to-back? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, you, got, you don't really have a third baseman. Um, 
And if you put in, if you put you know you say Kingery could play there, and then you're like, well, are we really going to rely on Adam Hazley as a, as a guy in the lineup in center field? I mean, that's really the, that's the the situation the Phillies are in, right? And that's that's all because of again bad roster construction that that they have, you know, that they just they didn't find pieces that made sense to fit together. Even even here's the thing. I want no Sean Rodriguez. I want to go there? back. You know what? And everybody always goes back to the Andrew McCutcheon injury. I want to go back to something other than that. I want to go back to Odubel Herrera having his domestic violence issues. And when as soon as that happened, which was pretty early in the season, at that point, if you're the Phillies, don't you then sit there and say we've got to find a, a real center fielder if we're trying to be competitive this year? And that, to me, was was a gr- more egregious miss by Klentak than not, you know, finding a pitcher at the, de- at the trade deadline. Because pitchers, I think, are, for you know, I'll give him this much, teams overvalue pitchers, and they ask for too much for pitchers. That doesn't mean he couldn't have gotten people better than what he got, you know, Vargas and Smiley, but... It, I think that it really they admit they needed a center fielder and they didn't go get one. And yeah. that was early enough in the season that they could have done it. And it's something that they're going to have to address this offseason. Yeah. And we talked last week about Corey Dickerson. Does he come back? And there's going to be some payroll complications there. They're going to have to get creative to free up the money, find a way for him to play. I think the Phillies need to find a center fielder, though. And I, no knock on Adam Hazley. Uh, you know, who could be a, a good, I think, a, a good fourth outfielder. That's I think what, that's I think what Adam Hayes is. He's a fourth is. outfielder, yes. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think he's an everyday center fielder. And, and certainly you cannot you cannot count on Roman Quinn, who, you know, we were told maybe it would be a little bit longer than last time, but we haven't seen Roman Quinn now in, what, three weeks? Yep. So it's been a while since we've seen him. You're, you can't go into a season with him as your center fielder. It, it's, a, it's a problem that I think is maybe almost equally important, I'll say, as to the starting pitching issues that this team's going to have to fix heading into 2020. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll dive into that as the after this week because I think after this week they're going to be far enough out that... Is this it? I think Are this you coming in playing taps next I Monday think this when is, we I discuss think this, this is Waterloo, man. I do. I think this is it. This is, this is the end. Uh, I, think it goes, I think it goes horribly wrong <laughs> against a really good team uh, and, and then into the weekend where it doesn't get much easier. So... Um, but there is one thing, one last thing, Bob, that I wanted to kind of get into. Um, and I don't know if you saw this, but there was a story on ESPN. And um, it, was, it was just fascinating to me that they would, that they would actually publish something <laughs> like this. But I, I, guess it's, I guess it's fair. There was a story that they put out earlier in, uh, or at the end of last week that says – why Mike Miner is ahead of Justin Verlander and other shocking war battles. And the, basing it on baseball references war, and also they make it's, – it's, it's based mostly on baseball references war, but they also reference fan graphs as well. And basically says Mike Miner has a better war than Justin Verlander. Uh, and Kettle Marte has a better war than Christian Yelich. Um. Marcus Simeon has a better war than Mookie Betts, Rafael Devers, and Xander Bogarts. Nick Ahmed. Nick Ahmed has a better war than Freddie Freeman. (laughs) Colton Wong versus Gleyber Torres, and then John Gray over Hunjin Ryu. Hunjin Ryu is going to probably win the Cy Young 
Okay, and they got John Gray. And then the final one was like David Fletcher over Eugenio Suarez, who's got, what, 40 home runs? And Jorge Soler, who's got 40 home runs. David Fletcher has five. It's, it's amazing. Just real quick, just the Verlander minor thing right off the bat. Yeah. I didn't read the article, so, I, you know, whatever. Just looking at this, Justin Verlander has more strikeouts per nine, less walks per nine. Uh, he is giving up more home runs per nine innings. He's, I think, a, one of the leaders in the AL, and this may have something to do with it. I'm not sure. The whip, .77 whip. He's allowing 5.3 hits per nine innings. I mean, and these numbers are all far superior to Mike Miners, and he's thrown more innings, too, by the way. Yes. Crazy. And, and the argument that they really want to make, and again, because apparently baseball reference and, and fan graphs constantly changes the formula for war. It like, constantly is updated year to year. And a lot of it is based on um, park factor, which is based on like a three-year span of how ballpark plays. And, you know, uh, there's a couple other things basically saying, well, you know, Justin Verlander doesn't have to pitch against the Astros because it's the team he's <laughs> so on. It's being held against him. So it's being pitching. held yeah. against him that he's on the best team. Wow. I, I, like, I don't get it. And look, I, I like I've always been a war guy. It's like what's one of the advanced stats that I kind of I buy into a little bit. And then I see this and I'm like, man, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm going to jump off that bandwagon a little bit, because how how can you justify any of these. I mean, really, any of them. The Mike Miner one is not even close. So I have to imagine, just without looking at it, that, that the Rangers Stadium, I know it's not the ballpark at Arlington anymore. It has some Globe Life Park or whatever is that what it is. Globe yeah, Life yeah, Park. Yeah. I have to imagine that's at, at the top of the list or probably a top five park in, in terms of park factors. Yes, I mean, yes. And so his numbers at home have been pretty good. Uh, he's held opponents to a 687 OPS. Uh, he's got like a, a 3-7 ERA in 13 starts at home this season, which is pretty respectable in that stadium. So mm-hmm. I, I guess credit to him for that. But, I mean, my goodness, there's no if – there's, if your metric is telling you that, that Mike Miner is superior to Justin Verlander, then I'm, I'm not interested in that formula. It just – that's bogus. That's cra- but that's – we all use war, right? I mean, we all talk about war. Yeah, sure. And now, does it make you second guess it a little bit? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Just thought I just thought I'd throw that out there. Is one last thing, uh, Bob. It's almost time to wrap the show up. We've got about a minute, minute and a half. You want to take a quick uh, look around the league and see what uh, the other teams the Phillies are competing with are who they're playing this week? Yeah, we talked about the Phillies and how they have a four point seven percent chance to reach the postseason per FanGraphs. Cubs go out to San Diego for four this week, and then they host the Reds. Cubs have a forty six point one percent chance to win the wild card. Brewer, 17.3%. They have Miami in Miami for four. We can only hope that they experience the same sleepiness that the Phillies uh, seem to fall victim to down there. And then they come home and they host the Pirates in red. So, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, then they go to St. Louis, actually. The yeah. Brewers. So that, that, that's, that could be a, a weird week for them. Uh, the Diamondbacks have four with the Mets in New York, and then they host the Reds. The way the Mets are going right now... I got to say, Diamondbacks could make a move here. This is the team, if you look at run differential and you believe in that all along, this was the team that kind of was the anomaly. They should have been better than they were, and they're now hitting their stride. And then finally, the Mets have, obviously, four at home with the Diamondbacks, and then they host the Dodgers, and then they have to go out to Colorado, who I know isn't very good, but that's not a a trip that I would want to make as an East Coast team. I think the Mets are in trouble. So, yeah. So, we'll but I think the, we'll Phillies, the Phillies are probably also in trouble. Once again, uh, you've been listening to Crossed Up here uh, on 610 ESPN Radio. Thanks to Ryan Lennox, once again, for producing our show. We will see you back here next week on 610 ESPN Radio.